Do you want to see a decrease in the probability of school shootings, teen suicide, bullying, classroom behavioral problems, and an increase in a safer school environment, happier students, higher student grades, better homeschool relations, higher teacher-staff satisfaction, and the success of all students? Then tune in to Uncommon Sense Children and School with David Wilson. Now, here's your host, David Wilson. We are round two, the second uh, the second show of Uncommon Sense, and I hope we had some uh, interested listeners a couple weeks ago, and we're just gonna kind of give another rundown on what we're about or what I'm about, and uh, the show basically mimics a book that I wrote back in 2006 when I realized that we really did lose uh, our common sense within uh, the school setting and how we relate to each other, how we relate to parents and how parents and teachers relate. And, uh, you know, if somebody has an argument against that, please call in. Uh, You know, the lines are open, 888-627-6008. But I just ask that we leave the egos off the phone. We're here to help children in schools. Uh, No cussing, no vengeance in your heart. in terms of your complaint of uh, someone you know in the school system, a parent or a teacher, uh, first names only and no naming of peers or identifying your school, only if it's all positive. Uh, otherwise, uh, let's, let's hold ourselves together and keep our passion focused on the best interests of the kids. And it's all about free will. We can explore ideas together. Uh, I'm going to offer a lot. And uh, you have the choice to either use them or not. So my assumption is that you are listening because there's some sort of challenge going on with the children at your school, in your classrooms, or your your children, uh, you know, as parents. There's just something that's not right and you need some help with. And what we're doing isn't working. And I think that's the key when we are able to sit back and say what we're doing is not working. And, you know, we've had the public school system, you know, for elementary schools, you know, it's been mandated since 1918. So we're over 100 years in elementary schools of experience, and we still want to keep changing things and throwing out the good things that worked and bringing in new, silvery, shiny things uh, that don't work. And we keep getting ourselves in deeper and deeper trouble, and we are in deep. We have a school system that is primarily a social uh, venue at this point because of the scourge of cell phones. And people may take that very lightly. And it's not just young folks who have a problem with cell phones. Uh, Just, you know, notice your fellow drivers. And they're not all teenagers. It's easy to pick on kids. But we have adults and seniors who unfortunately are texting and driving and making bad decisions as well. Uh, But in the school systems, what we've done was we've taken the minds and the hearts of kids out of the classroom and into the phone lines. And uh, 
you know, even prior to this, most kids went to school to interact with with their peers and their friends uh, for the most part, but they also knew that learning had to be done. And though some of those kids are still out there, we've greatly decreased the educational milieu with the uh, emergence of the uh, cell phone. And it's modern technology and it's done, you know, a lot of good in the world, uh, but it, the rapidity of its uh, of its introduction is always what creates the problems. It gets ahead of everybody before you get it under control. And now with kids and with school systems, you have a major problem on your hand because it's very, very hard now to weed it out. Because not only do the kids want it to stay, but you have parents and board members and teachers that uh, will advocate for it. And, and you know, when you look back at it, it is, it, is, it is so unnecessary. And if you look at the studies and do some research on the schools that had banned it uh, and see what they got back to, it may make more sense to you. But in the old days, and, you know, I'd like to think not so long ago, uh, if a parent needed a child, they called the office. The office sent for that child. Child came to the office, and whatever needed to happen, happened. And vice versa. If the child wanted to call the parent, child went to the office, called the parent, and whatever needed to happen, happened. Now, uh, that's non-existent. You know, it, it just, it's just the, the cyberbullying. The socialization during classes and people will tell you, you know, I've had a principal tell me that, you know, the kids promised them that they weren't going to use it in the classrooms and you can walk by any classroom and, you know, they're so good at it. They have it between their legs and they're just operating it with their fingers and, you know, either a plug in the ear or, uh, uh, you know, very tuned into the volume of the, the conversation. But it's in our classrooms. And even in the hallways is is a bit too much. Really, what we used to do is we'd see our friends in the change of classes at recess, you know, before and after school. And uh, in in the, the other classes, like we had the arts and those kinds of things that gave us a chance to really explore and be creative and, and be around other kids in a different way. Well, we don't even have that anymore because the first things they get cut are the arts the dramas, the music, the art classes. And even though higher education and research tells us those are the classes that stimulate the brain and allow the, the student brain to do better in all the other subject matter, we still cut them. And it's, uh, you know, not only does it hurt those kids that those classes really matter and their identity lies within those kinds of classes, it hurts everybody. So we've got to figure out a way to get these courses back in the school system uh, for that reason alone. But the cell phone issue is something that I've battled in my career as a school psychologist. And, uh, you know, one of the schools I was in, I battled for about six years. And, and uh, the year after I left, a friend called me and said, guess what they passed? And a year after I was gone, they passed a no cell phone policy. But I, I think the easiest way to do that, and what I call it, there are no fancy acronyms 
you know, there's a lot of programs out there, anti-bullying and, and whatever programs to help schools, but there's no such thing as an easy way out. We're, we're in deep. What we have and what I like to offer is something called a legacy program that's probably a two to three year program to turn a school district around, implemented at different grade levels. So at the end of three years, every grade has had a chance and has been exposed to uh, things that we want to do in our school that we can say we were a part of changing our school for the better. And then everyone, everyone after that can say we are a part of maintaining a school that our kids will be proud of. And it's, it's simply about legacy. Do we want it to be where it's headed or do we want to slow things down and get things back on track and get schools back to learning and do things the right way? And, and, and the things that we have to change are that all children, all children, special or regular, should be encouraged to explore interests, consider colleges, trades, technical schools, or employability training. All children. Uh, if you noticed in most schools, children who receive special ed services do not get that. Most folks, and except for, I'm sure there's the exceptional classroom out there and teacher, but most of those kids are not exposed to future thinking post high school. Uh, they they do have you know IEPs, individualized education plans that you know are supposed to plan for post education, but nobody considers or very few people consider those children for you know, any higher education of any sort. And you'd be surprised what those kids can do. We can never measure the heart and the spirit of kids. And that's one thing that I always did as a school psychologist is try to get people to not buy into the numbers from the test. Unfortunately, that's what most people were uh, interested in. What are the kids' IQs numbers and all those kinds of things? Well, the numbers help you understand why the child may be having difficulties, but they don't define the child. That's why I, I really tried not to focus on numbers. And it was a battle for a long time uh, to, to get people to say they do not describe the child. You can have somebody in a classroom who's sweating bullets and working so hard with, with parental support, a wonderful teacher. They can have a low IQ and you would never know it. You would never know it because they're getting B's all the time or a C here and there or an A here and there. You would never know it. And on the same hand, you may have a child who's functioning in the superior range of intelligence that's getting C's and D's all the time. And you may think that they simply don't understand things. I mean, the numbers and what children show you in the classroom uh, it will not necessarily tell you what those numbers are. You have to get to know your kids. So when I do a, an evaluation and I would find that, you know, a child was a, in that slow learner range and the teachers would be complaining and the parents would want higher grades. And I would say that child is working incredibly hard to get C's. And if they get a B in there, great. And if they get a D in there, you've got to work with it. Some kids are working so incredibly hard to get C's. The second problem we have with that is that now we have a system and a culture that has a problem with failure. 
So we don't want any of our kids to fail. We want everybody to get trophies. And how real is that to life? What are we setting our children up post high school or out of the classroom setting? I, those are the things where I'm saying we've got to bring the common back into sense because it's just, it's just not there. Now, we have to know why the children are failing. And that, again, that's our job, and that's the teacher's job and the parent's job and the whole communication team to, to figure out why are they failing. Now, if a child is just not trying and they don't care about school and there's something else going on, you got to take that on. That's a homeschool uh, relationship issue in a, in, a, in a meeting, you know, a child study team meeting. Uh, if that child is not putting forth the effort to pass, why are we going to make sure that they pass? Because we don't want to fail. What are we teaching them when we do those kinds of things? Now, the child that's failing because they truly don't understand the work, that's different. That incredibly different. And we have to figure out how do we help that child who really wants to succeed but has a learning disability, has some emotional interference, is grieving, who knows what's going on, has an illness that's been unaddressed. You know, we've got to learn all those things. So, you know, putting schools back together and getting teams to work together is uh, a lot of work. And it takes more time than just you know, one workshop at the beginning of the year. So I'm in it for the long haul. If anybody wants to go there with me again, the number to call in is 1-888-627-6008. If you have any questions, uh, we'll have a good time. We'll talk about some of the challenges you may be having with your school system or in the classroom. And uh, we'll go at it together. In the meantime, until those calls come in, I'm just going to keep talking about uh, things of concern and how I may be able to help. So we talked about, uh, when I talk about homeschool communication, I'll give you an example. Uh, a few years back, I'm out of the field now, probably uh, eight or nine years I've been a caregiver for my parents, but I'm passionately, my, my 35 years of with children and families, I'm, I'm passionate about it. I keep up on it. I miss it. Uh, but I remember, you know, a child, a teenager having a lot of difficulty in the high school. And I said, we need to get the parents in. And someone said, well, they don't come in. And I said, well, why don't they come in? I've, I had the luxury of moving around, so I worked at different districts across the country at different times, and, uh, you know, the story's kind of the same, but in this case, when I said, well, you know, when was the last time the parents were in? They said, probably back in about the second grade, and this teacher knew the history. The history was a conflict with the second grade teacher that went south, and these parents decided never to reenter the school. And the school accepted that. So we had from grade two to about grade 10, um, neither parent stepping foot into the school. And I'm sure the phone contacts were not uh, all that friendly. And we wondered why that child was angry and having all kinds of behavioral problems by the 10th grade. 
So homeschool communication and really elementary school is where it starts. There's so much, you know, there really is pressure on the, the elementary schools to set the foundation in a school district of, of class and dignity and integrity and uh, professionalism really starts there. And their blessing gets handed down to the, the middle school, the junior high, and then from the junior high to the high school. But it all starts down at those lower grades. And how we treat parents and what we expect of parents and how we want the parents uh, to work with us and what we think they should expect of us should all be on the table. should be a well-discussed topic on here's what we need from you. Uh, and then the parent could say, here's what we need from you. But right now what's happened, you, you know, across the country in a lot of schools is teachers saying, uh, I'm not here to deal with behavior problems. And parents saying, when they're with you, they're with you in loco parentis. And in loco parentis just means that, you know, uh, the school is basically in the role of parent, why, why, the, why, the, why the child is at the school, but they are not the parent. The parent is still the most powerful person in that child's life. And another bit of information, if you have uh, divorced parents, which is, uh, I believe, quite, quite a bit above the 50% point now, we get used to inviting the parent that the child resides with, the custodial parent, into all of the meetings. We, we tend to forget that by law, we're supposed to be inviting the other person to the meetings as well. Now, sometimes that can't happen if that other person is a problem in the picture. But if we don't know that, we're supposed to be inviting them in because what do you think that other parent can say uh, if things are going bad? They can say, I have no idea what's going on because the school never calls me or my wife or my husband never invites me to any of those meetings. I don't know what's going on. Now, even though parents are divorced, our job in the school system it if we can get the best outcome for that child is that we keep those parents on a similar page through that child's educational needs. Because what we hear is, you know, from the custodial parent, whether it's the mom or the dad, we hear that when they go with the other part-time parent, it's just a party. All they do is play there. And, you know, that may be true in a lot of the times because that parent only gets a child for a little bit at a time and they figure, well, I'm going to make the most of this and we're going to have some fun and not, not get involved in this other stuff. But to help that, that helps that parent out in, in their eyes, in their relationship with their child. But they can, they can maintain and strengthen their relationship with that child by supporting the custodial parent and supporting the educational needs of that child and being the parent and not the friend. There's a lot, a lot of things that people need to pay attention to uh, with divorced and separated parents. And uh, you know that 
you know, brings us down to, you know, grieving families as well as we, we just have to know what's going on and be able to, to help these families. Again, the number to call in is 188-627-6008. And uh, we'd love for you to call in and share some information with me and uh, ask some questions and see if we can work together and and start some changes. And one of the things, the 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 cha- a change in a school system, especially when we're talking about cell phones, that dialogue has to start now. That dialogue, you, you can't start a school year off with a piece of paper at the beginning of that school year saying, do not bring in your cell phones. That dialogue has to start today. The dialogue has to start with the board and the principals and the teachers and the parents. That has to start today on why we're going to do that, but it is going to happen next school year. So let's start talking about it. Let's plan ahead. Let's get the kids, get their heads kind of used to the idea that that's coming or it's, it's going to be very, very difficult. Uh, We got our children into this mess because we didn't hold parameters or put parameters on these things. Now it's our job to help them out of it. Uh, They're not learning. The the grades have gone down. They've done studies on this since the inception of the, uh, the, the, the interference of the cell phones in the school systems. They've impacted upon grades, increased the bullying. Uh, We have a problem with that. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, it's a great place to be to socialize when you can talk to your friends almost all day long, whether they're in school or out of school. And they're really, uh, you'll hear stories about, you know, in school shootings, how, how a cell phone saved, I think they use one case where a cell phone saved a girl's life. But they won't tell you that they can also get your child killed. That phone could go off while that child's hiding. And the other thing that the uh, first responders will tell you, they're actually they're absolute nightmares because the children are calling their parents. It's like all the bees are coming to the nest and they're angry because and angry and scared because of something that's happened in school. And they start interfering with the first responders and making their job harder to secure that school building. So, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword, but in the bigger picture of things, most professionals are going to tell you they're a damaging, damaging thing to this culture, the culture growing up now, the generation growing up now through our school systems uh, have been impacted very negatively with uh, cell phones in our schools. So I would say... That's the first thing that really people need to know if you want to change your school for the better. That's one of the things that has to start happening and being discussed now. Secondly, are some some things that they seem easy when we talk about them, but they're very difficult to accomplish. And uh, one of them has to do with when we talk about supervision. I like to say there's supervision, and then there is supervision. And when we downplay, we're just saying supervision. When we're talking supervision, 
We're talking about people that are always on the lookout for things that just don't seem right. And I'm not just talking about teachers. Teach That door should be open all the time. And at the exchange of classes, those teachers should be out in the hallway at the door, greeting children coming in, saying goodbye to children going out, and keeping an eye on those hallways. The presence of an adult greatly decreases the probability of bullying. So that's the one part of the supervision. But the other part is kitchen staff, including your kitchen staff, your maintenance staff, your janitorial staff, your bus staff. These are great team members for the school district that often go uh, unnoticed or unaddressed when it comes to being a part of the bigger picture of the school situation and teacher aides, of course. And I'm, I'm sorry if I missed some of their administrative staff. We've got to get everybody to have this supervision. When you take a walk in the hallways, what do you see? On the bus, what do you see? Around the kitchen area, what do you see with these kids? You know, if everybody is watching, it's, everybody is watching, you are going to see a lot of things change. But not just watch, report what you see. Report what you see. And one of the commonalities with the with the shooting uh with the shooting situations are those children and some of them have already graduated. I, I couldn't tell you the stats on the, the kids that have done school shootings that are still in school, but we know from one of the first major ones, which was the Columbine shootings that those children were on the fringe for many years in that same school system. And what we have to do is not let children hang out on the fringe and you can do that in a, in a couple different ways. In, in, in first off, when does it start? When does a child start being on the fringe in elementary school? I mean, if you're watching, if our supervision is working, when we see someone moving that way that stops communicating with adults and just starts kind of you can notice when their their relationships are more focused on other kids who are also angry and there's something going wrong. That's very noticeable if you're watching for it. Those are the children that you have to say hello to every day. Those are the children that the adults have to make eye contact with, pat them on the back, and say hello every day. You cannot avoid those children. You have to put extra energy into those children. There were other kids in the Columbine, Columbine situation that said not only were other kids making fun of them and kind of turning away and walking away from those kids. And believe me, I am not condoning what they did. Uh, but there are ways to prevent that. Uh, prevent, we, we did, we help reinforce it when we ignore it. Uh, but there were some kids that were saying that they even heard staff. Uh, and again, I can't prove that. I just remember from the interviews, kids saying that even some of the staff had made fun of those kids. And I will tell you, if that's not true, I've heard it personally in schools that I've worked in. I've heard staff make fun of kids that were on the fringe. So we, we can't say it doesn't happen, but we have to stop it. Those are the kids that we can, we can pull them back in. And if we can't fully pull them back in, we can keep, we can keep connected to their hearts 
by having a relationship where that child can say, you know what, I go to school every day, I hate it, but I got these teachers that say hello to me every day, they smile at me every day, they say goodbye to me every day, they say hello to me every day. You know, uh, and if you do the legacy program, if you're looking at the whole bigger picture and you get the kids working for you, and this is when I talk about a legacy program, let me give you the number again, one eight eight eight. 627-6008. But when we talk about a legacy program, we're talking about the bigger picture. We're talking about thank yous, saying I'm sorry, uh, you're welcome, uh, you know, please forgive me. Those kind of statements are perfectly fine to incorporate into the school system. And I'll, I'll give you an example of, of one of those gone bad. I, I had a child that was quite physical, had some, you know, pretty significant behavioral problems. And, he, you know, there's a difference sometimes between pure emotional and pure behavioral problems. And most of the situations we have in the public school system don't require a white coat to deal with. Uh, some of them do. And they're very difficult when we, we have kids that are truly dealing with a mental illness of some sort. But most kids can be worked with. In this case, this child could have been worked with much better. But the child had stood up in class and was walking around kicking other kids' desks and pushing them and doing things and obviously got kicked out. Uh, it was actually a, a relatively smart child. He can get the work done. There wasn't anything that severe that was stopping that child from learning. There were just some behavioral issues going on with the family and different things were going on. And, uh, you know, he was obviously sent out of the office and I was involved with them in the family for a while. And we're going back to class. And I said, you know, now I said, when you go back to class, they said, you really you, you need to ask them to forgive your behaviors uh, before you reenter the, the classroom. I'm not going to do that. I said, well, why wouldn't you do that? You just upset the classroom. You, the classroom was fine. You started picking on kids. So you just want to sit back down like nothing happened. I'm not going to say, please forgive me. I'm not going to say I'm sorry. Well, why wouldn't you do that? You just did all these things. And he just put his head down. I said, listen, you, you can't reenter until you're willing to say you're sorry. And... Uh, you know, actually, he could ask for forgiveness if he wants. The big thing was just say, I'm sorry. And then we see where it goes from there. So I opened the door and I was a male teacher and I said, so-and-so, uh, I said, you know, this young man has something to say. Because if he didn't, if he didn't give an effort, I said, we've got to have your mom and dad come down. You know, if we can't resolve this at school, they're going to hear about the story anyway. I said, but we're going to give you a chance to to resolve it first. Uh, and then, you know, we'll talk about it later with mom and dad. And I told the teacher what we're going to do. And the teacher come running over to me and he said, no, 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 don't, don't make him do that. Don't make him do that. I said, I'm not making him do that. I'm asking him to do that because he disrupted the classroom before he left. He did a lot of things that were harmful to other kids and disruptive to the class and a normal thing in normal society. What you would say if you didn't get put in jail as an adult for doing something like that, at least you'd say you were sorry. You'd say, I'm sorry, I'd come back to the table and I'm, I'm sorry for what I did. 
teacher was turned pale as a ghost, was so uncomfortable with that. And as the teacher was ghosting out on me, the child mumbled he was sorry. And every child in that class was tuned into it. And what they started saying was, it's okay. And they're calling him by name. We'll say, Johnny, it's okay, Johnny. We forgive you, Johnny. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You didn't hurt me, Johnny. It, it went through the whole class. And his head, his head popped up and he walked back in as a young man. And that did not happen that way. for Now, he had some other problems, but it did not happen that way for the rest of the school year. When he knew that if he had one of those problems, he was going to have to apologize for it to reenter, he stopped doing that. But the intriguing thing about it was the teacher that thought that was so off base and cruel. And and I, I think they almost found it as a form of public shaming. I'm thinking, I, I would never want to be involved in public shaming. But a common sense response to hurting other children and disrupting a classroom on purpose. The, the child already made the fool of himself and already did the damage. There's nothing else I could do to shame him. He had already done that himself. What we can do as an adults now is show him how to get past that and what you do to reenter a situation after you've made some bad mistakes. And the fascinating part, like I said, of that was the adults. And a lot of times you're working against adults. There are there are parents that would get uh, uh, have a problem with 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 things like that. That's why the homeschool relationship and talking to each other about how we're going to educate the ch children in our school. How are we going to deal with behaviors? How are we going to communicate with home about behaviors? It's a plan. It can't just be. We're just going to take this as it comes. You've got to have a well-coordinated team and well-coordinated expectations. The, the parents need to know what your expectations of them are. And you need to know what the parents expect from you as teachers and teachers' aides and principals. It's really a, a, an important dialogue. And that's something that the school board can draft up and the parent teachers associations are worth their weight in gold. You can draft up ideas and saying, this is what we expect of each other. This is how we're going to get through the school year together. One child having a behavior problem in a classroom that a teacher does not have classroom behavior management skills can ruin that school year for that classroom. People need to understand the classroom behavior management is not a given and it's a very some people just get it and that's the exception to the rule I've met I've met young teachers that just got it I've met teachers that were ready to retire that never got it it's not a year thing it's not a it's a it's something that's intuitive in in some people but you can learn enough of it to get it to work you can learn a lot of it and when you see it working, you gain, you gain confidence and you keep it going and you dialogue with each other as teachers on what works. It, it, it's an incredible, beautiful thing to see when this comes together. And, you know, sadly enough, you guys, I can only say in my 35 years and 17 of them were in the school system. Uh, we're talking about, well, I don't want to name the number of schools I I've been involved with, but I'll say that uh, 
really seeing an entire school district run well. I never saw an entire school district run well. That's all the elementary schools, the middle school, and the high school in all their programs. I can say that I've seen some of those schools run incredibly well with a great principal and just good communication and everything, but this has to cross those educational boundaries. You know, from elementary to middle, middle to high, you it, it has to become a larger expectation. It has to become school-wide. Uh, you know, and that takes a lot of preparation. And again, no fancy acronym and program that tells you we're going to do this in a couple months is 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 going to work. So there are a lot of things to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. Uh, let me see some of the other things, the common sense that, that uh, we lost. And one of the things is picking the teacher. And that, I, I think that's been around a long time where parents get wind of a bad teacher and or someone they don't like or the kids don't like. And, you know, sometimes it's unfair. Sometimes it's fair. Sometimes the teacher's just strict. You know, with their with their uh, accountability for homework and those kinds of things. And uh, uh, before I get into that, let me give you a number again: one eight 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 six two seven six zero zero eight. But if you start picking a teacher, and and most principals were pretty good at this, they just wouldn't do it. Sometimes I've seen it done as a favor because a principal liked liked a certain uh, family. You know, you you, you get things like that you know, happen to because people are human and you'll get some unprofessional poor decisions made. But the reason that you can't pick teachers is because that is not real life either. And once you start doing that, if, if you try to do that, you're going to have 178 people uh, want to be in one classroom with, you know, one of the best teachers there is. Uh, that's not how life works. You, the child has to be able to adjust to different personalities. This is the this is the experience in life where they f start getting that. This is an opportunity. School is you learn more in school than just the subject matter. This is about life. School is the life of a child. It's it's twelve years, thirteen years, kindergarten. It's the life of the child. This is where the child gets to have to listen to rules and regulations from another adult and learns respect of the outside world. And it learns that there are different personalities of adults. And now you're preparing them when they when you get them to do that and be able to learn regardless of the environment. Now you get them prepared for the work world or the post high school world in college in the workplace or wherever, technical school, whatever trades, em employment, jobs. Now they're ready for whatever's tossed at them. So there's a reason for that. Uh, but we're, we're playing with that too. You know, that's going to create a problem. The cannot fail is creating a problem. Uh, uh, we don't expect children to say we're sorry or welcome, please or thank you or, or forgive me. And, and, and I'll tell you, we don't expect our adults to say those things either. And it's perfectly okay and needs to happen as, a, as modeling, even if you have to sit up to say, class, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry what I did the other day. I'm sorry what I did earlier. 
Thank you very much. You're welcome. And a lot of teachers do do that naturally, but you're modeling. You have to look at this as you always have. If, if you have a full classroom of 28 kids, you always have 56 eyes looking at you. And 56 ears are listening to you. I hope I have my math right on that. I, <laughs> you know, they're, the child with their head down and not looking toward you, they are taking everything in. You just have to know that. Uh, it's an uncanny way uh, to see things, but they are watching. And they're watching and learning in ways that you, you don't expect. So you've got to constantly know that you're a model and that you want to teach whatever you're teaching, they're going to learn. You're going to teach how not to be accountable and responsible for your behaviors. You're going to teach that lesson. If you want to teach how to be angry and scream, you're going to teach that lesson. And uh, you, you just have to be aware of that. You know, one class in behavior management and higher education does not a great teacher make. Uh, it's not enough. You know, I would advocate for a semester of intensive classroom behavior management system for higher education, bringing in new teachers, but it's just not going to happen. They just not going to happen. But the schools can offer and put a, put a high priority on it. And uh, there could be a lot of teacher to teacher support. But that ego, just like we, you know, we talk about the parent ego can be very, very strong. Uh, pride and ego get in the way of a lot of progress for a child. And when we're talking to some parents that are not used to being on a team like this, because, you know, the school is the first outside team the parent has. Uh, big team. So, again, it takes a lot of skill to be talking about these things and being proactive and putting it out there. And you're going to be coming up against some pride and some ego. But the teachers and the principals have their egos and the aides have their egos and everybody has them. So those things have to be left at the door before you leave the house. And on your way to school, uh, you know, work on that. So when by the time you get to the school, it's just you're not going to let that you know, uh, interfere. Uh, uh, oh, I know it's one of the other things I'd like to talk about would be the the, the state uh, state guidelines and everything having to meet everything having to meet adequate guidelines when we talk about what we want from our children and these new testing procedures and uh, is that what we're looking for? Is that is that the best we got? To meet minimum guidelines or adequate guidelines? Is that what you want for the children in your classroom? Is that what you want for your children? Adequate? Just meet adequate guidelines. We'll be okay. We're getting so used to that. That's exactly what we're doing. We want, if we're going to, if we're going to strive to meet those guidelines, that's what we're going to have our children meet. And uh, that is, that's a sad testimony to where we're at. Uh, we can get past that. But all these things I'm talking about, you know, professional responsibility and accountability, uh, we can do a lot to help kids together. It just, it's just communication. 
a lot, a lot of communication. We can increase attendance, class participation, grades increase, staff retention decreases, uh, parent-teacher associations get bigger. You know, everything can get better. And, and you know, this is not, when you start connecting the dots, and, and, and I say especially when we start talking about those fringe children, and you start addressing that at a younger age and really pay attention to it when the when uh, the kids start getting up into middle school years and they start getting exposure and uh, they can start, you know, making connections with, you know, drugs and alcohol and those kinds of things. It's even more important at that point to to reach out and stay tuned in and keep in touch with parents. Uh, but we can do it. It's just a matter of doing it and everybody doing it. What happens is only a few people do it and they get overwhelmed. Uh, it's got to be everybody. Can you imagine you've got a school district with, I don't know, I don't know what an average school district is. Is it, is it 100, 200 staff? And everybody has supervision. Everybody has it. They're automatically just looking out. And they're automatically connecting with the kids. And you know those kids that do like to stay on the fringe, you know who they like? They get along with the janitors. Uh, they might have a good relationship with one of the kitchen staff. Uh, you, you, you know, it's those kinds of things. In uh, uh, the, the, the shop classes and the, those trade classes in schools are, are big for kids who, who have difficulty learning. That, that's a niche for them, as are the arts. Uh, for a lot of kids, but uh, there's always someone there for those kids that can connect with them, and you've got to use that. And then that staff has to share their information on what to do to other staff and, and really work that kid back into the system uh, and, and help get them through high school uh, feeling feeling like they're at a place that's not so bad. Uh, they may be coming from a lot of difficulty and they may be going through a lot of difficulty, but we're not going to make it worse for you here. Uh, but you still have things to do. We still expect things of you, uh, but we're not going to make fun of you. We're not going to make things worse on you. We care about you and you just, that's what you have to do. And I'm, you know, I say this word love, we've got to love all our children. And, and, and when I say, you know, I mean that in an agopic way. Uh, where we just care and we're passionate about the lives of our children. And when you work that way and live that way, that will show through to uh, these children. And it shows through the family. So you can have a really tough meeting, but if what you're saying is in the best interest of that child and showing that you are truly dedicated to maximizing the potential of that child, that parent may be angry because of their pride for that moment, but they'll come back around. Uh, I use an example of a, a dad that I, I did an evaluation on a little girl, maybe in first grade, second grade, a long time ago. And uh, she had a severe learning disability and that dad uh, despised me, hated that talk hated the fact that I was talking about the child having, you know, educational challenges and in need of special education and uh, hated me for two years. 
And I always said, as a school psychologist, I could walk into a supermarket in the evening and have somebody wanting to hug me and, and you, you know, uh, buy me a steak before I left the building. And then I could walk around the next aisle and get my shoes spit on. You, you never knew what you were going to get because you would have to share difficult information. And two years later, that man came up to me and said he was sorry. But I, t- I accepted that anger for two years. And that's another thing you have to be ready to do is you don't meet anger with anger. They Parents have a right. They had expectations of their child. This threw them for a loop. And you're telling them something they don't want to hear. And it took him two years, but he came back around. And I said, it's okay, man. It's okay. It happens. It's tough information to hear. I'm glad your little girl's doing better. And the idea in special education is to work kids out of it if you can. But if it's necessary where they need the extra help, you got to do it. But here's the thing with inclusion, because that was the big word many for many years was inclusion, inclusion, inclusion. Inclusion hasn't worked because it's never been implemented correctly. They've never given the regular education teacher, the staff in the classroom, to do that correctly. That is such an overwhelming uh, 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 program to implement. You've got to do it right. You've got to have that one and two other people in there all the time and knowing how to help without having those children stand out and doing things for other kids. I mean, that's that's an area of expertise that needs a lot of training. It's never been done right that I've seen. Uh, and again, there are probably schools that have done it right. And there are probably schools that may be listening to this or saying, not our school. That's wonderful. But most schools have that problem. Most schools never did it right. So inclusion has taken a beating because it's not implemented right. If it was an implemented correctly, we, we'd be singing a different song. But uh, we, we're not singing that song yet. Uh, we we talk about maximizing the safety of the classroom and and and, and you know with with a lot of these uh, strategies in classroom behavior management and I'll never forget it's always good to give examples because it, it it gives people uh, some ground to work with when if a parent were to say you know. You need to back off my child in those behaviors or you're picking on my child and you have to be able to say, you know, ma'am or sir, when your child does this in the classroom, they're disrupting the learning of everybody else in that classroom. You know, standing up and gassing in the middle of the class for a laugh uh, is funny for certain age groups and maybe all age groups in school, to, to especially boys, right? Well, but you're affecting the learning in that classroom. That behavior is not funny. In the bigger scheme of things, you are impacting that classroom. That has to be a, be addressed. It's not a cute thing. So in families that may be cute at home, maybe you've accepted it. At school, it's not. At families in the home, you may accept certain behaviors. In the school classroom, it's not acceptable because you know behaviors that stand out uh, and call attention to themselves impact the learning process of others. And on the other side, uh, again, 188-627-6008. On the other side, we have the issue of quiet and shy children, which also receives a great amount of 
uh, uh, misunderstanding. When you have a shy student, uh, you have someone who is still able to connect with other people, but just they're introverts. They may connect with one teacher. They may connect with one or two other kids, but they have a small group and you'll see them smile. They're just with other kids and they're not, they're not comfortable around larger settings. There's just, we're all different. When you have a quiet child and they're not interacting with anybody, but you know what? They're not causing any problems. So those children are noted as great kids. Uh, when there's parent-teacher conferences, when this or that, and the parents may know something's going on, and the teacher's saying, great kid. Well, why? Quiet. Never gets in any trouble. Grades are usually okay, you know, that kind of thing. Quiet doesn't mean okay, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I want to know why quiet is quiet. There could be a lot of anger underneath quiet. So, so just because somebody is quiet, uh, is not necessarily a good thing. And they're not into other relationships with peers or adults. They're ignoring adults and they're not comfortable around other kids. There's something going wrong. And that's what I'm talking. That's, that's a fringe in elementary school. That's a fringe student waiting to happen. So, so those things have to be talked about. And everybody wants to, they're easy to ignore because the classrooms can be so difficult you just say, hey, as long as you're being quiet, you know, you're, you're good. You're good. It's not making things worse. But really, we're looking at every child in the classroom, not just uh, not just the children that are acting out. OK, so so uh, we'll take a step uh, back and we'll talk about uh, uh, the divorce families again and the suitcase children. Uh, please, if. Children are, you know, given equal custody to parents and they're running back and forth from parent to parent each week. Please understand that's exhausting. Please know who those children are and know that they're going to be exhausted. I've never agreed with those situations, but uh, they can be talked about as well. So there's a lot of things, ladies and gentlemen, that can be done differently. And I'm here and on the show and don't want to give up too early. I believe we're going to take off and do good things together. If we stay in touch with each other, I get you calling in at 188-627-6088. And I'm on every second week. My business number is 570-344-2357. And we're on every Sunday evening on the East Coast at 8 o'clock, Pacific Coast at 5 o'clock. And uh, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing, showing love and passion to our children, and uh, uh, we're not going to give up. This is not an easy task. Anybody who told you it's an easy task lied to you. And again, anybody that gives you an acronym that sounds beautiful and it's only four letters and it says something snappy, it's going to make your life easier in, in 30 days, they're being dishonest. This is big stuff. We're in deep, and I'm talking about a two to three year program and we'll change things around. We can do this. Our children are worth it. Your careers are worth it. Parents, pieces of mind are worth it. And most importantly, maximizing the potential of all the students in your classroom and schools are important. So I guess we leave tonight with a 
God bless you. And I hope that we can work together and keep in touch and get your friends to listen in. And we're on our way to good things, really good things. Fight the good fight. And look at my book on Common Sense Children in School on Amazon. And A Wisdom Child is a Christian fiction novel you can get through exlibris.com or Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. All my proceeds goes to my nonprofit, A Thousand Brothers, or half of my proceeds goes to nonprofit, A Thousand Brothers. And you could look into that at a thousandbrothers.org. Uh, again, God bless you and uh, good night. Do you want to see a decrease in the probability of school shootings, teen suicide, bullying, classroom behavioral problems, and an increase in a safer school environment, happier students, higher student grades, better homeschool relations, higher teacher-staff satisfaction, and the success of all students? Then tune in to Uncommon Sense Children and School with David Wilson every other Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time on BBS Radio Station 1 and check out UncommonSenseConsults.com because the better the teamwork, the sweeter the outcome.